0: Throw is Garnold, looks left. Fires one down the left sideline Towards the end zone. Robbie Anderson. He's got it. That's a Jet touchdown. Dumps it to Bell. And
1: way right beyond Bell. Takes it.
0: And for the touchdown. Crowder comes to 30. 35-40. Crowder. comes on the Jets. He's going to go all the way. Jameson Crowder. No, uh, it's intercepted by Mosley. He's going to score, Jim. And he's in.
1: Touchdown, C.J.
0: Welcome back to the Cool Your Jets podcast. I'm your host, Ben Blessington, and we are officially four days away from the Jets' first regular season game of the season, taking on the Buffalo Bills at home. going to be a fun one. We're super excited to talk about that. We have to talk about some roster cuts that took place over the long weekend uh, and just some overall just Jets season prediction type stuff, you know, since we're kicking off the season uh, with this week's episode, uh, you can follow us at CYJ Pod on Twitter. You can follow me at Ben W Blessington on Twitter, and you can follow the man of the hour at Michael underscore Nania, my co-host. Michael, how you doing, man?
1: I'm doing really good, and it's good to finally have the season here because uh, you know the preseason, just the overall, the way you follow it is just so much different than uh, once the regular season comes along. You know, you're focusing on a lot of just intra roster battles, you know, this position, uh, like two, multiple guys in one position rooting for this guy over that guy. But then the regular season comes and everyone is on the same team and you root for them all the same. So I'm ready uh, to finally get back into that mode and stop, you know, picking sides with roster battles and stuff and just, you know, bring this all together and go take on the Bills on Sunday. That And the Bills, it's just such a great team to start the season off against a division rival in basically the same exact position as the Jets. So many parallels uh, between these two teams this rivalry uh it has a lot of juice uh, more than it has in a while so i'm really excited to kick off this season and it, it's a fun team to start it against
0: yeah i mean no doubt i think you can it's it's always telling when uh both teams both fan bases for each team are i think this game is a, is a cakewalk i've seen a lot of bills fans you know just predicting one and just off the bat I, I i think it's gonna be a lot closer on the flip side i, I think it's gonna be a lot closer than jets fans think Um, I do think we'll win this game. And I, it's honestly, you don't want to ever say this for the first game of the season, but it's almost a a must win. When you look at the Jets first six games on their schedule, you know, playing Buffalo at home is the easiest game they're going to have until week eight, because then they go, um, home against Cleveland. Great team there. Then they're at new England. They haven't won there since, and the regular season since far versus castle in 08. Um, uh, then after that, they have a bye. Then they're you know uh, in Philly, never beat the Eagles, let alone on the road. Then they're home for the Cowboys. Great team. Super Bowl contender probably. And then they're home Monday night football against the Patriots. Uh, and playing the Pats on, on primetime hasn't gone too well for the Jets in recent years. So it's tough. So if they can walk out of that, the, the first six games at two and four or whatnot, they're, they're looking all right, but they need to win this bills game. Because those other teams are significantly better than the Bills. Uh, but it's a good test for the Jets. And and, and we'll talk more about this later. But uh, I am excited to see this because these are the teams that you'd be facing in the playoffs. It's, it's a nice test for the Jets early in the season to see how they're how they're playing. Um, you can follow this podcast or you can find this podcast, excuse me, on iTunes. Just search Cool Your Jets. You can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google, um, iHeartRadio. You can also find this podcast. And the best place for Jets content at turnonthejets.com. Uh, so let's hop into, before we talk about Buffalo, before we get to the mailbag, uh, before we talk about the season outlook, let's talk about what happened this past weekend with some roster cuts, some waiver wire additions and whatnot. So let's just, we'll start with the roster cuts. Michael, uh, kind of your overall biggest takeaways from the guys that the Jets let go, the guys that the Jets added, just kind of your overall thoughts on, on Joe his first real, um, you know, I guess job as a general manager of the New York Jets.
1: Yeah, well, I, I was really taken aback or, or surprised by... A lot of the moves that were made, I think Deontay Burnett, Greg Dorch, uh, those are the first two guys that come to mind. But there there were a lot of moves that definitely surprised me. I think the way they handled cornerback, too, the fact that uh, as we record this right now, they only have five corners on the roster. We'll see. There's still some time uh, to make some moves. Time is running out with the game, uh, week one game, coming up soon. But I was pretty surprised how they handled corner. Uh, The two cuts they made at receiver were surprising. But uh, nothing too shocking because you look at the way that uh, some of these guys in these competitions play. Deontay Burnett, as as much as we want to see him succeed because of his connection with Darnold, because of how young he is, uh, how good he played in those two games against Chicago, New England last year, he, he didn't do anything in the preseason, was really quiet throughout those games. And, uh, you know, with a new GM who doesn't have any attachment to a lot of these players, uh, you're, I think you should expect to see what we did uh, see on Cuts Weekend. So uh, I think that is definitely surprising to see as many Cuts as we saw, but at the same time, uh, you shouldn't be too surprised just because of Douglas. The fact that he came in, uh, you know, in the middle of the offseason doesn't have a connection to any of these players. But uh, at the same time, I think that they did get um, have a couple of good pickups to replace those guys. Braxton Barrios to replace uh, Greg Dortch as the pump returner. I think that was a solid move. Uh, Barrios has a really good track record of uh, good pump returning uh, over the course of his career with Miami in college and then uh, with New England in the preseason this year. So uh, just overall, there were definitely some cuts that surprised me, but at the same time, it. It, nothing too, you know, I don't think any of the players that were cut necessarily are going to be, uh, is anything too, and of course, Jakai Polite, who I haven't even mentioned yet, but that's another yeah. <laughs> topic uh, in and of itself, but uh, none of the players that they cut, I think, is anything that I'm going to get too worked up over, because there's a reason these guys are getting cut, there's a reason they're in that conversation, it's because they're fringe talents, so I, I think uh, it was definitely surprising, but I, I like to pick up some of the pickups that they made to replace these guys and you know Greg Dortch did surprise me because I think he deserved to have that returner spot but I do like Barrios taking his spot and they did put Dortch on the practice squad which I think is deserved but you know overall it's just a you have a new GM who comes in mid-season you're going to see a lot of cuts because he doesn't have a connection to a lot of these players yeah I think that that's a good way of getting the accurate best
0: for your best 53 players on your team and I think we talked about this on either our first or, or second episode that we did that it's we generally don't like to disagree with with a lot of these cuts because, look, I mean, we've seen maybe 25% of, of what the coaches see. The coaches are with these guys in the film room. They're with them every day on practice, even when it's close to the media. They see everything. They know how they are in the locker room whatnot. So it's hard for me to sit here. You know, in a dorm room in Syracuse, New York, and criticized the Jets for cutting Deontay Burnett because I saw some videos of, of him at you know on Twitter uh, that I thought. I, I was a fan of Deontay Burnett. I thought that most times that he hit the field, he did impress or at least look like he belonged. But when you don't contribute on special teams, and I'll give credit to the boss man, Joe Caporoso, uh, who, who runs starting the Jets, for calling it out. He, he said, and he got a lot of hate for it, but he's like, don't be surprised uh, if the Jets cut Deontay Burnett. As you said, a bit of a fan favorite, him and Dorch. Um, but when you don't contribute on special teams, it's hard to make this team. And with Dorch, uh, it's one of those things where he it was kind of the opposite, where he was a main contributor on special teams. But what was he bringing to the receiver room? And we see that, you know, kind of the overall takeaway for me. And I don't think this roster is done, but you're, now you're entering game week. Um, so the guys are going to make the biggest impact on Sunday. This Sunday are there. Um, I could see them adding another receiver, another corner or whatnot. But those are the, that's the biggest takeaway for me. They only kept five receivers. And it's like, OK, so you have three, two of them. Uh, between a and Crowder are fairly injury-prone. The other one is six, three, 190 pounds, and now he's going to be not just running go routes, so you have to worry about health with him a little bit more. Uh, and if you're only going to carry five, your other two is Josh Bellamy, who's a fine receiver, not a you know good or great receiver, and a, he's pretty much on the team for special teams. You can't have just another guy who's just there for special teams. The Dorch cut makes sense to me. They get him in the practice squad. If anybody goes down, they can bring him up. I'm excited for him. I'm excited for his potential. I think next year you'll see him take – you know, big steps as a receiver. Um, But I, I'm excited for him. Yeah. I, I was a big fan of, of the Braxton Berrios, um signing as well. You know, it, it's been a while since the jets have, have poached a, a real good talent from new England uh, and judging by the reaction of Pat's fans, they seem pretty upset by this one. So l- let's hope this is the, uh the next and a long line of, of jets, Pat's uh, having success with, with the other team. We still need our payback for, for Danny Woodhead. Um Let's just hop into most surprising cut. And I think Michael, I think for us, it'd probably be the same answer, even though, I mean, some of us were surprised, you know, surprised by Deontay Burnett's uh, release. Some of us were surprised by Greg Dorsch. I think the, the main one, and you mentioned him earlier, Ja'Kai Polite, which a lot of people saw, you know, thought uh, of him as safe. I mean, he's a third-round pick. Um, you know, although he wasn't taken by the the current GM, he is, he was at one point thought to be a first round talent, the best pass rusher in this, in this roster. But, you know, throughout the summer, throughout training camp, he was only playing with the third stringers, wasn't getting in much, wasn't doing much when he was in. And then you hear the reports about that. He was reportedly reportedly fined nearly or nearly or over a hundred thousand dollars for, you know, tardy, um, uh, being tardy or just other uh, team infractions or whatnot, that he was fined. $100,000 is really telling uh, for character. And when you don't have any ties, like you said, when you don't have any ties to the current GM, it makes it a lot harder to stick on the team. So, Michael, I, I guess as far as most surprising cut, kind of, if you have another one, you could go. But otherwise, I mean, what are your thoughts on the whole Ja'Kai polite situation, which kind of hit most Jets fans uh, by surprise?
1: Yeah, that was definitely the most surprising cut easily. And, and, you know, no matter what issues that, uh, you know, a, top, a day one, day two pick usually has, usually teams stick it out and just, you know, for at least a year, you know, even Christian Hackenberg lasts a couple of years with the Jets. So no matter how bad they play, how bad their off field issues might might be, teams usually stick it out for the talent, but Joe Douglas obviously has wasted no time getting Mike McCagnon's all his issues out the door. But, you know, it's polite. These are issues that, you know, these are the issues that dropped him in the draft. These were the reasons that, you know, he fell from a guy who was a really good speed rusher who should have went in the first round to a third round pick. Uh, and it, those issues propped up again. And the Jets did keep those things, you know, under wrap really well because we didn't even hear about it until after play was out the door. So I, I think that's a, another separate positive in and of itself. The fact that the Jets are keeping uh, stuff like that under wraps, I think is a, pr- a pretty good Indictment uh, on the regime as a whole. But uh, just the fact that it definitely shows that, you know, you can get as mad at the team as you want for making that pick and for quitting on him so early. But, you know, he wasn't playing well at all. He really was, you know, maybe one of the worst players on the entire team in the preseason. And it, in practice as well, he wasn't able to get above the third team. So he didn't play well in practice. He didn't play well in the preseason. And he had a lot of issues just with, you know, tardiness, all the other stuff off the field that we don't have too many details about. But we do know that those issues were there because of, you know, the reports that came out. But, you know, he struggled in pretty much every facet that he could struggle as a professional player, as a rookie. And, uh, you know, like I said, usually teams stick it out. But you have a GM that didn't draft him. And you have a defensive, uh, a def- a group of defensive coaches, Greg Williams, that, you know, most of the reports have said that, you know, Polite was a split pick, that McCagnon and Gase wanted him. But uh, the defensive staff didn't. So you, you kick out McCagnon and then. The new GM's probably going to listen to that defensive staff and, you know, he's out the door. So the way things were going, it didn't really seem like Polite was going to have much of a role this year or really in the future. So, you know, the Jets cut ties already. You can't really from the outside blame them too much. It was it was a bad pick for sure. That's on Mike McCagan. It's on Greg Williams. It's on Adam Gase. But, you know, in the present, the decision to cut him, I think it you know, it makes sense if they don't see any role for him at all and you know clearly the way they were using him in the preseason just his fit in Greg Williams defense clearly was not there so uh not to say the writing was on the wall but it was kind of obvious that he wasn't really fitting in with what Greg Williams wanted so the pick di- it didn't really seem like a good pick the way the preseason was playing out uh, you in hindsight questioned why they would pick that kind of player if they were going to try and you know not let him use his best skill just go after the quarterback instead of playing such a versatile edge role that's not polite's game but You know, it it makes sense, I think, if they didn't think uh, he was going to have a role this year or in the future, then uh, to just cut ties to him. And the rest of the NFL didn't take a chance on him either. No one picked him up on waivers. So, you know, most of the league probably knows about those issues and they saw his tape and no one else was really too high on him either. So, you know, it just goes back to uh, just a poor pick by McKagan, Gase, Greg Williams, just that entire process back in April when the pick was made. But right now, definitely a huge surprise. But it makes sense given uh, what we know. Yeah, and, uh, no doubt. I mean, it, it's one of those things. And
0: when when Joe Douglas had his his opening press conference, and and his his quote was, "We want guys who uh, hate losing more than they love to win," and everything was talking about building a culture, uh, and you want guys who you know really want to win. And you see, even Braxton Berrios. This is a guy that was a leader for for Miami. He wants leaders in this team. That's that's kind of Joe Douglas's mantra, right next to to you know building through the trenches and whatnot. Uh, and when I heard those quotes, my mind immediately went to Jakai Polite. Yeah, like wasn't this the guy that fell in the draft due to bad combine interviews? And my I, my mind has also went to Chuma Adoga, who had some similar um, concerns coming out of college as well. Not necessarily to the to the extent of Polites, but more of like does how much does he love playing this game type of thing. It's very clear that when we see and we'll see it more you know in the 2020 draft that Joe Douglas likes guys that love football he's going to take the guys that eat sleep breathe football because he knows what it takes to be a champion he's he's been a part of at least three super bowl um teams had a had a hand in in two of them uh and he's seen it he's seen what it takes and it takes guys that need to want it bad and i think he saw that jakai polite was not going to be that clearly by these fines and and didn't really change his behavior and he wasn't performing on the on the field, Joe Douglas has no ties to him. If he releases him, it's not really a, a bad indictment on him as much as it is on Mike McCagnon. He's going to cut his losses now. He sees um, that he, that, that roster spot could, could be much deserved uh, elsewhere. Uh, sticking with the the roster stuff, and then we'll go to the mailbag and, and whatnot. Uh, most surprising guy that made the roster for you, Michael. I mean, there, there were some there that I wasn't necessarily expecting to, to make it. I think that a lot of us, um, specifically on that defensive line, which, you know, Joe, Joe Douglas for now at least has opted to keep nine. Um, that a lot of us, you know, didn't didn't talk about at all. Do you have any uh, guys that you were surprised that made the team?
1: Yeah, three come to mind for me quickly, and all of them are on defense. Uh, the offensive roster, other than the two cuts at receiver with uh, Burnett and Dorch, mostly uh, panned out the way we expected it to. But defensively, there were three guys who made the team I didn't expect to be on there. At cornerback, uh, Arthur Millette, he was a surprise. Uh, you know, and we talked about how the fact they only kept five quarter, uh, five cornerbacks as of right now. Was pretty surprising given how bad the depth is there. Uh, the fact they would only go with five, but uh, Millette definitely wasn't was the guy. And I know that's not. Uh, I think I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce his name. Ian Eagle said it that way, so that's what I'm going with. And uh, he surprised me because he didn't. He wasn't too great in the preseason. I, just frankly, I don't think he was good. I, I, not many corners were, but uh, he was one of the ones that seemed to struggle at least from our point of view. So he surprised me making the team over guys like Chiron Brown and Chiron Brown actually. You know. Uh, Gase said that they held him out of that Eagles game, even though he was healthy, making it sound like they were going to keep him. But they turn out uh, to put him on the practice squad. So uh, that, that was an interesting let, making the team surprise me. Uh, not that defensive line, the fact that right now they have nine guys on that defensive front, and the last two guys surprised me. Kyle Phillips had uh, he had a really the undrafted rookie. He had a really really good game against the Eagles, but it didn't seem like he had a chance at the roster. But right now he's on the team, so he is that fourth defensive end on the depth chart. And then on the interior, you have uh, on the interior, you have Nathan Shepard, who uh, I thought he was going to miss the team just because of, you know, he hasn't had a very good preseason or training camp. He's been playing with the backups and third stringers, Fadakasi's outplayed him uh, quite drastically throughout most of this off season. So Shepard making the team, Shepard and Phillips, both making teams definitely uh, more surprising than one or the other, but them both being on there just because of how many D linemen they have, uh, is definitely surprising. So, you know, I think those two guys, or any of those three guys would probably be the top candidate to go out if they do add somebody else. But uh, those three guys definitely be the surprising makes for me.
0: Yeah, I agree with that for sure. I, there, there were some guys that, that we definitely weren't expecting, but that happens every year. Um, some stuff that we were expecting, though, was was a new kicker. Perhaps some of us were expecting a new corner. We didn't necessarily get that, but we did get a new kicker along with a, a few other uh, waiver wire additions. We've already talked about Barrios, the receiver. Let's talk about Corey Vedvic. This is a guy that the Jets were you know, sniffing around, possibly trading for him earlier in training camp. He goes to the Vikings for a fifth rounder, doesn't even make the team, doesn't pr- perform well in Minnesota. Minnesota historically has a, a very bad uh, history for kickers. Well, the Jets actually, I feel like, have a pretty good history uh, and whatnot. This is a guy that has a lot of potential, huge leg. I mean, he's, this is a guy that was hitting 50, 60, even 70 yarders um, and you know was doing well for, for the Ravens until he went to Minneapolis. Uh, Michael, kind of your thoughts on Corey Vedvik. I mean, I know you were a big Jason Myers guy towards the end of the season. We've talked about ad nauseum, you know, about the decision to let him and Robert's both walk. We both kind of can see why Mike Cagman actually did that. But then the the succession plan wasn't necessarily there. But there's a scenario where the Jets have completely walked into their franchise kicker that this guy can put away some of the jitters that he had the past few weeks and go back to more the prospect that multiple NFL teams were interested in trading for only
1: a few weeks ago. But Michael, your thoughts on, on, on Corey Vedvik? Yeah, so he, he's a really interesting wild card. And like you said, he could he does have the—he's shown the signs that he could potentially be that kind of franchise guy. Obviously, he's young, too, so uh, the longevity's potentially there. But, you know, the Vikings traded a fifth-round pick for him a couple of weeks ago. Obviously, they look very stupid for doing that now. But uh, it just goes to show that the fact that they value him that high— and I know fans don't value film on kickers at all. We just look at the field goal percentages and stuff. But they're still looking at that. They still look at technique, things like that, to just see— you know how what kind of potential these kind play these players have. You know even though it doesn't seem like a position where you do that, but the fact that a team would trade a fifth round pick for him goes to show that there definitely is talent there that teams see. And the Jets were uh, rumored to want to give up a conditional pick for him as well. Good thing they didn't. Uh, well, you know we'll see what uh, how it pans out in New York, but. He was really good in the preseason for the Ravens last year. Uh, I think he was he was he missed one field goal last year, and he was perfect with the Ravens in this year's preseason. I, he was 12 of 13 with the Ravens over last year's uh, last year's preseason and this year's preseason. He's still perfect on extra points, even with the Vikings. He's made I believe four 50 yard field goals uh, with the Ravens, but with the Vikings after uh, they trade for him, he went one for four on field goals uh, in three games. I believe all those misses were under. Fifty yards too, so that could play into why they cut him. But you know, with the Vikings, they've had some kicker struggle, uh kicker struggles recently. Dan Bailey struggled with them last Historically year. Historically, as well, <laughs> he struggled in their environment. And you know, Baltimore on the other hand, they usually do good with kickers. But uh, we'll see how he does in New York. He's going to play with an elite, godly, all-world holder who just made the roster, Lachlan Edwards. Let's go year four for him. But you know, in, in all seriousness, he has shown signs of. Being a really good player. So hopefully, we uh, get what he showed in Baltimore and not Minnesota.
0: Undoubtedly. And then the two other uh, additions of Bennett Jackson and John Franklin Myers. Jackson, a safety defensive backup, it seems like he might be able to play uh, some corner and a pinch as well. And John Franklin Myers was a guy who was on the Rams, was a fourth round pick last year, I believe, had uh, two strip sacks, one in the Super Bowl uh, against Tom Brady. Um, that's a really interesting um, uh, signing to me. I believe he's only 22. Uh, as well. And I think that's just a perfect fit for, for Greg Williams. It's, it's becoming clear that Williams wants to play way more four three, especially with the injury to Avery Williamson. So now with a guy like John Franklin Myers, who is a four, three defensive end, I mean, he, he will probably find a role in the three, four, but it's not necessary since they have so many defensive linemen, you know, when they're in the three, four, they can keep Henry Anderson out there. Um, but in the 4-3, you can bring in a guy like Franklin Myers, you can bring in a guy like Bronson Calfusi, and those can be your 4-3 defensive ends uh, if you need it. Uh, really intrigued by him. Uh, you know, statistically, uh, creating turnovers is how you win on the defensive side of the football. And if this is a guy that, that has a knack for the strip sack, I mean, I guess it's only two examples. Um, but if this is a guy that can just get any sort of uh, pressure coming from that defensive line, it's it's greatly needed and greatly appreciated uh, for the Jets. I'm intrigued by that signing. I think that was a great claim uh, by Joe Douglas and Bennett Jackson. I don't know much about all I know is that he's, he's from Jersey went to Notre Dame, uh, went to the giants kind of hung around there for a bit, won a starting job, then got injured and hasn't played in a regular season game to this point. But Joe Douglas, I'll, I'll put it this way. I'm at a point right now with Joe Douglas, I guess it's the honeymoon phase because he hasn't necessarily made a mistake just yet that anything he's doing at the moment that I'm trusting that I, you know, and it might just be because it's a new GM, but it's also because I do believe in Joe Douglas's ability to build the team. There, This is the first time in my life that I felt that way, that I felt like the GM and the management, even if, even if they make a controversial decision, even like Ja'Kai Polite, I'm not going to sit here and roast them. not just because I'm being a homer, because, look, I trust Joe Douglas as a football evaluator. I mean, I'm not saying Bennett yeah, no. Jackson is, is the next, you know, Ed Reed or anything, um, but – I'm comfortable with him right now. Whereas, whereas with Mike Mcagn, my my whole thing was: is Mike Mcagn never really going to build you a roster that's going to win a Super Bowl? Sure, he might be able to find a, a you know a guy when he's picking third overall like Sam Darnold or Jamal Adams. But I didn't necessarily feel like was he going to be able to find those gems that, that felt the depth and and take you, um, you know, into late January. Uh, probably not. But with Joe Douglas, I feel differently. He's obviously done it uh, with a few teams now at this point, and and I'm excited. So I, I trust these these signings. I think I think Barrios uh Franklin Myers and, and Vevdek all have uh you know huge uh you know a huge opportunity to to make some noise uh this season less with Jackson just because the safety group is, is all right but those three positions are positions of need uh and I think all three will have an impact
1: I think like you said like yeah like we always have like a honeymoon phase whether it's a coach or a GM you know we're in it with Gase right now no one liked that higher, but uh, he's a pretty popular guy right now, but there's always a honeymoon phase, but it does seem different with Douglas because, and you know, you can compare him to Gase too. When Gase came in, there wasn't too much positivity around that. You know, we've worked to like it at this point for a lot of legitimate reasons, but it wasn't too popular at the time. But with Douglas, it's been really positive just, you know, from the time back to when he was a candidate before the Jets even hired him, he's looked at as the top option available at that time. So there's been a lot of positive uh, just said about him. From people who have worked with him, just all the players that he's found, been a part of finding uh, with three really good franchises uh, with the Bears, Ravens and Eagles, two of those Super Bowl champions. And he won. He was was a part of three Super Bowls, two with the Ravens, uh, the one with the Eagles recently. So there, I think there's a lot of legit, po- uh, legitimate positive reasons uh, to like Douglas right now, other than just him being in the honeymoon phase. So I do agree with you on that. Yeah, and just having that that close uh, relationship
0: between him and Gates just gives me a lot of confidence as to, to where this organization uh, is heading. Uh, I guess the last piece of news we should touch on, and I don't want to mess this up because I don't want to mess up the name here, but um, the last piece of uh, news we should probably touch on is, is the uh, not that we have much to add on here, but the Jets swapping out team presidents. seems like Neil Glad is, is moving on to kind of a, a senior advising role, uh, and they named, uh, I don't want to, Jaime uh, Elhai, the new team president, I don't know how much of a say that that Jaime will have in, in football-related matters. This might be more, you know, branding, stadium-related matters, you know, if, if Joe Douglas was ever fired type of thing. But he was reportedly very involved in, in the search for Joe Douglas and, and has become increasingly involved over the past few months. So this is probably something that's been in the works for a while there. Um, nothing much to, to add there. Uh, I don't know much about him. Um, but let's go ahead and get to the mailbag. Uh, small mailbag this week. We asked uh, for questions kind of late, so yeah. let's just go ahead and jump in. Uh, from at the Jet Ranger to, Uh what are you worried about if anything when it comes to Josh Allen? For me, it is not so much his arm, but but our defense failing to contain on pass uh, on pass plays and him gashing us for yards on the ground. hashtag Ask Cyj. Uh, this is obviously referring to this weekend, and we'll have more on this game towards the end of the podcast. But uh, three questions in a row that are all going to be about this game. So let's start with Josh Allen, Michael. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I think that is historically something that the jets have always struggled with uh is is defending uh defending the running quarterback uh, yeah i i don't think josh allen is as bad as a lot of jets fans think he is um i do think that i mean obviously he has a terrific arm and he has great athleticism and whatnot and the same thing goes for him as, as it does with sam Darnold and any other rookie quarterback jumping into the second year that he's going to improve this isn't the josh allen that you saw last year this i mean maybe he is i guess for jets fans we hope he is but uh, this is a guy that, that yeah, is, is probably more refined as a passer, at least slightly. Um, I, I, yeah, I wouldn't discount his throwing. Uh, I, I wouldn't discount his deep ball, especially with the, the Jet situation at corner and, and Tremaine Johnson battling a hammy. You know, those are always risky for corners. Uh, and and the Bills also had an interesting strategy this year where they invested more in smaller receivers that can get space, so Allen can hit them deep. Whereas last year was let's go with the the you know Cam Newton with Calvin Benjamin model, where let's just get these big receivers that he can throw up to. But this way. I guess uh, the the Bill's thinking is, is that if they you know can get small guys that are good at uh, separating, that the Josh Allen have a higher likelihood of hitting them. John Brown is a guy that had, you know, I think he at one point was leading the league in deep balls last year for the Ravens. I, I'm not the analytic guy that, Michael, that's more your part. All I know is you know, he was on my fantasy team, and he had a nice little stretch there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, him deep is definitely a concern for this Jets defense. Um, and anytime you have a guy who can throw deep that can also run, it, it, it's a deadly combo. I, I'm not – afraid of Josh Allen more than I am of other quarterbacks he's certainly the best the worst quarterback that the Jets are going to face uh in their their first six games but yeah that that running is definitely a concern and it's it's something that Greg Williams has preached uh presumably the past few weeks Michael any thoughts on on Josh Allen and, and your fear for him running the football
1: yeah so obviously his legs are you know his best weapon so far you know Bill's fans and you know the Bills themselves are hoping that he can add some more with his arm but you know he's already probably the best running quarterback in the league if not he's right up there with Cam Newton, top three at worst. But he already showed us that he can make a lot of plays with his legs, and he did against the Jets last year. Uh, he had 101 rushing yards against the Jets last year, which was his second highest total of the season, and he did have a touchdown that game too. I think he did have a few fumbles, like you mentioned, but uh, still went over 100 in that game, which is not good for a quarterback. But uh, the Jets did last year struggle with running quarterbacks. Uh, they gave up 353 rushing yards to quarterbacks last year, which was fourth most in the league, but obviously completely different defense. This year, So I think with Allen in this first game, I think the Jets are really going to put the game in his hands uh, to start the season. We haven't seen what he looks like. You know, we've seen him in the preseason a little bit, but we don't know for sure what he's going to be in the regular season. So I think that Greg Williams and this defense, they're going to sit on that running game. They're going to play some contain and they're going to make him sit back there and throw. And if he is going to take a big second year leap this year, if he truly is, you know, an improved thrower of the football, then I think we could see the Bills make some plays early Uh, some big plays in the passing game. But if not, then I think the Jets are really going to, you know, make a very strong concerted effort to stopping that run game, especially after, and, you know, the Jets, uh, Greg Williams wasn't here last year, but he did, you know, take a lot of these, a lot of the same players on this defense were here uh, when he had a big running game last year. So I think that uh, Williams is really going to focus on that. And, you know, if Allen is as improved as he potentially could be with that arm talent, then, I think that the Jets are going to have to do a lot of adjusting and then maybe, you know, sit on that a little bit more. But I do think that they're going to make a pretty strong effort to stop that. Because as of right now, based on what we saw last year, it, that run game is definitely his greatest weapon, not even close.
0: Uh, undoubtedly. Uh, it's 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 a skill that, that scares me as a Jets fan, but as I said, he's not— Uh, the most frightening quarterback that the Jets are going to face over the next few weeks. I'm I'm much more concerned about the, uh, the matchup next week on Monday with those receivers, but this is going to be a tough game. Uh, Let's hop into the next one from at uh, Ezio, the legacy. What is the Jets biggest weakness that could cost them against the bills? Well, outside of um, stopping Josh Allen from running, obviously it's gotta be the corners. And, And what I talked about getting beat deep with a guy who sometimes inaccurately throws the deep ball with a guy who has this type of arm though, that can, just throw the ball pretty much from anywhere on the field. I mean, if he can be on his own 20 and and hit, you know, 60 yard bomb, the jets have to be on their toes. Um, Marcus may has to be ready. He can't have any growing pains here because Josh Allen is going to fire deep. That's his specialty. He's not as good, you know, in those intermediate short, uh, passing plays. They brought in Cole Beasley to help with that, but he is, his specialty is the deep ball and the jets with their cornerback depth. They're going to be tested early uh and often so that's definitely the biggest weakness that similar to those first few games in 2016 i don't know if anybody remembers that the jets just consistently were getting beat by that deep ball you know revis was starting to show signs of declining that really tanks the jets early in in, in that season um and and it's one of those things where if these corners aren't ready to play it could definitely tank them uh again michael any thoughts on that
1: yeah i think for me i'm gonna go with that's definitely a good one i would probably agree with you but uh, to go with something different, I think that the uh, the Bills front seven against this Jets offensive line will be an interesting challenge. This is a really good Bills defense. They were, you know, pretty much across the board, a top five unit last year. Not too much turnover, actually more, I would say, positive additions than losses. So uh, th- that front seven against this offensive line will be interesting. Ed Oliver will be making his debut, and there's just so many parallels between these two teams. And one of them is Ed Oliver and Quinn and Williams, uh, two interior D linemen taken uh, near the top of this uh, the 2019 draft, so uh, obviously a lot of attention will be paid on uh, you know paid to Oliver, but they have a lot of talent in that front seven. You have you know Jerry Hughes out there, uh, just a ton of good talent that they have in that front seven. So uh, they created a ton of pressure last year. That front was a, a part of them being so good defensively. So uh, it's going to be a challenge for this new offensive line for the Jets playing together for the very first time in a real game. Uh, so for Khalil, for assembly just that entire front. Uh, from left to right, it's going to be it's going to be a good challenge against this Bills front. All right, and
0: the next question is from at uh, Desia p one uh, or zero one, excuse me. Edge is an issue, but in a close game with Bills, a kicker with zero experience scares me. Jets really goofed not keeping Myers. Thoughts? I mean, we've talked a lot about uh, the Jets' decision to not keep Jason Myers. Um, it's one of those things where Mike McCagni made the decision that he bet. Uh, that last year was the outlier for Myers. And, look, that's a fair decision to make. I mean, it's one of those things where towards the end of the year, he after he got the Pro Bowl bid, people don't really talk about this much, but he, he missed a few kicks there towards the end, weeks 15, 16, 17. Yeah, he did, so, and in
1: two close games that they lost also. In
0: two close games they lost as well. I mean, he was helping out with the tank. But I think McHaggan kind of made the decision probably then. Yeah, but I am I am concerned about Corey Vedvik. What exactly do the Jets have? Because there's a chance the Jets are getting the Ravens version of Corey Vedvik after he gets a, a week with, with Lack, the Supreme Emperor god, Lord Edwards uh, and and Brant Boyer, there's a chance that we're getting the Ravens kicker, the young stud um, that that other NFL teams are trying to trade for. There's also the chance that we're getting the Vikings kicker um, who got cut after giving up a fifth round pick three weeks ago. And you have to be pretty bad for that to happen. So it scares me as well. I I, I do think this will be a close game, close-ish game. I I think the Jets will ultimately win, but it'll be a tough game for sure. And it's a game that the Jets, you know, going up against this Bill's defense are going to have to make their field goals. So I'm scared. I, I'm not necessarily kind of like with, with Allen running. I'm not necessarily petrified. I think there are other things in this game that are more concerning. But, yeah, I mean, kicking, this, we'll see right now who Corey Vedvik is as the New York Jets kicker because if he starts shanking kicks here, I mean, if he misses three kicks in this game, we're going to know that he's probably not the answer uh, for the rest of the season. So it's a big test for Corey Vedvik, uh, but but I'm hoping it pans out. And, and I, I do have confidence that, that he can kind of right the ship if he can just get out of his out of his head. Michael, any thoughts on, on Corey Vedvik and his debut?
1: Yeah, it's definitely a question mark, and we're going to be nervous about him And until he proves otherwise, has a few really good, perfect games in a row. But, you know, not not a lot of teams have serious struggles with kicker every se- every season. Usually there's one, maybe two, but when they do, you usually see it from the very start of the season. So, the you know, the, the guy will struggle with, you know, in their first game, miss a couple of game-winning attempts, extra points or whatever, and then they'll end up rotating through, you know, maybe two, three, maybe even four guys until they actually find someone they can rely on. So... Uh, if he is going to be an issue we are probably going to see it from the start because you know if he starts hot and then he starts struggling then at that point the jets are probably just going to roll with him but uh, the start's going to be star season's going to be pretty pretty interesting cuz he's either going to kind of lock down his spot or start putting the jets back on that carousel again so uh, it'll be interesting to see you know which version of this guy we get cuz obviously he's talented but uh, he's had some rough moments too even in college he actually only Uh, attempted 16 field goals in college all in his last season. And he only made 10 of those, which is 63%. So uh, you really don't know what you're getting with this guy. He's shown some really high points, but some really low points, kind of like the guy who the jets had last year who ended up making the pro bowl. So uh, uh, it's hard to catch lightning in a bottle twice like they did with Myers last year, but you know, we'll see it can, it can hurt you. But at the same time, it's, it's, valued the way it is for a reason it's they have to be really bad to hurt you and if your game's coming down to them anyway you probably should be playing better in some other area so uh it's worrisome it'll be interesting to see what they get out of him but uh no we'll we'll get to to that uh once it becomes an issue then we'll start worrying about it
0: uh all right well that'll do it for our mailbag as far as that goes only three questions A, a short week but yeah i mean Corey vedvik it's a big week for him uh, let's hop into, before we go you know, zero in on, on the Jets-Bills matchup as a whole for the last part of this podcast, it is opening week. It's our opening week podcast, I guess. I mean, we've, we've had a few episodes throughout the preseason or whatnot, but we're getting excited for the regular season. It actually feels like football, real football is coming to life here. Uh, let's do a bit of a season outlook type of thing, Michael. Um, I, I guess for you, I know we've done some record predictions and stuff. Actually, let me, let me save that for the end. Let's start with, we, we were talking about this before the show. X factors for the season. I want a guy. We'll start with a guy who's a surprise guy, and a lot of times they say X factor, Jamison crowd, whatever. No, I don't mean like that. I mean a guy that nobody's really talking about, nobody's expecting much from, that is going to emerge by the end of the season as 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 a guy that the Jets are going to be counting on, um, you know, hopefully for years past this, but as a guy that that can be remembered as as being a, a you know integral part to this team. Last year, a guy comes to mind would be like Chris Herndon, was a guy that fourth round tight end that people were excited about, but once we got to like week six, week seven, week, week eight, when he started to make plays. People got excited, and especially by that end, those last few games with Darnold, when we saw all the potential he had there. Chris Herndon was at the uh, the Jets uniform release party, and, and a lot of Jets fans are, are hyping him up as as a, as a stud tight end, which I believe he is as well. So, Michael, do you have a, a X-Factor surprise guy that nobody's talking about uh, that, that you think is really going to make an impact on this team, and and hopefully for the future?
1: Uh, Well, I was kind of thinking about this answer while you were going through that, and the guy I think I came up with, for, for the offensive side, I'm going to go with Chuma Idoga. I think that uh Brandon Shell's had some injury issues over the past few years. He missed a couple games at the end of last season, uh played twelve games in 2017. So odds are Adoga's probably gonna get a chance at some point because he's the only backup tackle or pure backup tackle on the roster. Alex Lewis and Tom Compton both can play a little bit of tackle, but uh Adoga's the only pure, true tackle uh on that reserve group right now. So I think he's definitely going to get an opportunity at some point. And I think it's obvious that the team, you know, even Joe Douglas, you know, we talked a lot in this podcast and throughout all these uh, past few weeks about, you know, the differences between how a team approaches the roster when the GM changes uh, mid offseason like that. But uh, even after Douglas came in, Adoga was pretty much getting only second team reps or probably a little bit past that just to get some extra time out there. But it does seem like the team is high on him and he did play really well, especially in pass protection uh, in that second game against the Falcons, Like. Yeah, in that game he gave up a sack to Vic Beasley, but other than that, I, I think uh, I think he finished the season credited with only two pressures allowed, and he played a lot, so uh, he's really good in pass protection. His tools are really good. That I mean, he got drafted in the third round uh, he has that Sam Darnold connection, and you know, like you've said in the past on one of the past few episodes, that uh, Darnold has you know spoken really well of and that he wants to play with him for a long time. So I think the team does think highly of him. He did play well in the preseason, and you know, he already seems like. Uh, he would be a pretty good backup tackle, even as a rookie. Obviously, uh, hopefully down the line, he turns into a good starter. But for now, he does seem like a pretty good you know, backup player at that tackle position. So there's a good chance he's going to play this year, even if Kelvin Beecham gets hurt. You know, Idoga uh, could be the top guy to replace him. So uh, there's a good chance he's going to play this year. And I think down the line, the Jets are hoping that uh, he's going to be a long term starter and a potentially good one. So uh, I'm definitely looking at him as that underrated kind of key player this year. I
0: like Adoga. I think that was a, a great pick. I, I have a few. Uh, I'll narrow it down to, to one that I really want to talk about. But, uh, but on the defensive side of the ball, I think you're going to see a big leap from Jordan Jenkins this year. I think this is a guy that, that's going to put up 10 sacks this year. I also think that Marcus May is going to get the respect that he deserves by the end of the season. I think people are going to be talking about him and Adams again as one of the elite uh, safety duos. But the guy I want to talk about is a guy that the Jets added a few days ago in Braxton Berrios. Um, I, I believe in Braxton Berrios as that slot receiver. Look, Jamison Crowder is a guy that has struggled with injuries throughout his entire career. And Berrios is a guy that, well, he's also had some, some, you know, injury issues as well. Berrios is a guy that at Miami was super productive, super dominant, great in the slot. And he fits perfectly for what Adam Gase is trying to do. I mean, he's a perfect receiver for, for an Adam Gase offense. I think you're going to see him play that, you know, I don't, not to be too stereotypical, that Wes Welker type role, uh, that, uh, that, that Welker had with, with gesa uh, and the Broncos in 2012-2013. Obviously, that, that is Crowder's job to lose. I'm not saying Jamison Crowder's going to lose the job, but if Jameson Crowder goes down for a few weeks or if the Jets want to bring in that four-wide receiver set, I see Barrios as a guy who's, who's small enough yet gritty enough to just work the zones over the middle, maybe on the goal line and whatnot. Just kind of... Just a shifty guy that the Jets can have in the slot that I think will develop a nice chemistry uh, with with Darnold. I think that's a big X, fa- X factor. By the time the Jets are hitting those December, November, hopefully January games, they're going to take a hit at receiver. I mean, you have two guys that have had injury issues their whole career, and a guy that is now going to be going way over the middle, and he's six three hundred ninety pounds. They're going to have to dig into that receiver depth chart this year. We're not digging into you know Rashard Matthews or whatnot. It'll be Braxton Berrios as it gets the first crack at it, and I think he can impress. I think he will. Um, I, I don't think it, it excludes the Jets from adding another receiver, you know, preferably a big body receiver. But as far as a guy that that I think you'll see the Jets build around a little bit more in that receiving core, I think Berrios um, is the the Jets' future uh, at the slot. Next Crowder, I think you can you can have
1: two slot guys, uh, and I think that's what Gase prefers. Um, I think he's big on punt returns too, because you know I would probably be more upset with getting rid of Dorch if they didn't get someone with a good punt return track record to replace him. But Barrios has a really good track record as a punt returner. He led the ACC in punt return average in his final college season. It was actually his second straight season uh, above 11 yards per punt return, uh, average 15 in that 2017 season. And he's he's not really a huge, like a, a huge big play returner, like 70, 80-yard returns, but he's super consistent. 14 of his 18 returns over preseason with the Pats over these past few years and his last season at Miami. Uh, have been 10-plus yard returns. That's almost 80%, which is pretty ridiculous. Andre Roberts was at 39% last season in the Pro Bowl season. So he's super consistent, gets those chunk gains as a punt returner. So uh, I think he's going to do a good job there. And uh, he hasn't fumbled or muffed a punt. As far as I know, it's hard to don't find those. It, don't jinx uh, it, don't jinx it, don't jinx it, don't jinx it. I'm just don't, shut up. Up. I'm just saying the facts. I, that's what I'm going to do from now on. I'm not, I'm ignoring it. Now facts. he's going to fumble. When he fumbles Sunday, I'll, I'll make sure to tweet at you.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that definitely Gase likes and and field position is huge. A guy that's – I mean, I would argue – I agree with you. I would argue that it's more important to have a consistent returner than an explosive returner. A guy, especially on punts, that's getting 10 yards um, 80% of the time. That's ridiculous. I mean, especially if a team is punting from their own 30, you're getting the ball closer to midfield. That's closer to scoring drives. And if Corey Vedvik is an absolutely terrible – at the minimum, uh, you're only like 15 yards away from a field goal. Um, So, Yeah. Big addition there. I think obviously you're going to feel it feels impact at first uh, in the power turn spot. And then I think through injuries and also being that fourth wide right receiver, you're going to see him uh, catch some more balls than, than, than people think he will, especially as the season goes on. He learned the offense. Um, wait,
1: before before we move on, I just want to clear one thing up, just get this settled going forward. So should any fumble stats guys and their ball security, should that be mentioned going forward or are we playing the anti jinx game? I mean, you could mention it. I You have to mention
0: the jinx, though, because if you were to just say that he's never fumbled and I hadn't acknowledged it, I feel like the chances that
1: he'd fumble would be significantly Yeah, I, I do agree with that philosophy. Whenever you acknowledge these things, they don't happen. So, all right, now, I'll, now I'll say these stats. You got to acknowledge it. Noted. Yeah, okay,
0: but now you just said it won't happen because we okay, it's whatever. Just, so we have to redo it again Michael, now, like, if, just to no, get it back if to the right fumble, track? If he fumbles again, it's your fault. That's, that's how I view it. Or if he fumbles again. If he fumbles on Sunday, it's your fault. Um, all right, I'll take right. the blame. Flip side of that, um, X-Factor disappointment. Uh, A guy that a lot of Jets fans are expecting uh, a ton from this year that, uh, you know, is going to disappoint, in your mind, is is a prediction in 2019, and and could be a reason the Jets don't necessarily go as far as they could, or at least just a guy that was just overall uh, disappointing. Michael, you want to start?
1: Yeah, I think on offense, I'm going to go with, uh, and it really hurts to say I love this player, but I'm going to go with Quincy Noonwa, just because when you look at how many targets the Jets have on offense, you have... Three receivers who are going to be a big part of this offense. A guy you tendered, who's in, in position to be the top receiver in Robbie Anderson. Two guys who got pretty pretty big deals in Crowder and Inunwa. You have Herndon, who was one of the best, uh, maybe the best rookie tight end in the league last year. And you have Le'Veon Bell, one of the best pass-catching running backs ever. There are a lot of targets to go around. Someone's not going to put up the production that you know we expect them to. I think we look at all these guys and see the potential for them to have a big year. But someone's going to have to take a hit in the statue. And I, I think it's going to be a noon. I love the chemistry that Robbie Anderson and Sam Darnold had at the end of last season. And I think Anderson is just overall under his all around game is really underrated. We know how good he is deep, but I think he is a lot better in that intermediate game than people give him credit for. When he was uh, having that production at the end of 2018, and he's one of the most productive receivers in the league, he didn't catch any go routes. So uh, other than that Buffalo game, the Houston and green Bay game, no go routes for him. So I like him. I think he's going to have a big year. Crowder and Darnold, I think uh, that's been hyped up a lot. I think that's legit. I think those guys complement each other really well. Uh, Crowder's really good on those corner routes. He was in Washington, and uh, Darnold's really good with those. Bell's going to get his production. Herndon, I think, is going to get his when he comes back. So Anunua, I think, not that he's going to be a bad player. I think he's still going to help the offense a lot, make the most of his touches. But just in terms of overall you know, fantasy production, I think I think he's going to be under 700 yards on the season. And I think uh, people find that pretty disappointing. And, you know, it is. It's not really what you're expecting. I have a guy getting as much money as he did. And I do think because of, you know, how much money that they spent on Crowder and just the fact that, you know, maybe Robbie Anderson won't be able to stay around now. Uh, the money they gave noon was kind of questionable just because of his role and, you know, some of the other players they have there. But at the same time, he's definitely going to help the offense make the most of his touches. He does bring blocking to the table uh, off the statue production that, you know, he's a great blocker. So he's going to bring that to the table. So I, he's going to help the team, but from a fancy perspective, I think, uh, his number, someone's got to take the hit. I think it's going to be a noon Yeah. I mean, this, this, might be a bit of a homework take for me, but I actually disagree with that.
0: Uh, as far as a noon goes, I mean, I have my old, my separate disappointment X factor, but I actually think a noon is going to have a big year this year. I think just allowing him to run. And I, I know you were just kind of forced to say somebody, uh, but allowing him to, to free up his route tree and whatnot, I think we, we saw glimpses of it in 2016. I know he got hurt, and then he was Mr. Bubble Screen last year. I'm excited about Inunua, um, uh this year, and I think he – I mean, I'm not saying he's going to put up massive numbers, but I think that mo- that money could be well spent there. He's a guy that's always been exciting. I mean, he's, he's a guy who looks like a linebacker, runs like a running back, and, um, and catches like a receiver. So uh, – I think he's an interesting piece for the Jets to have for Adam Gase to play around with, and I think they'll have fun with him. And especially since he's our only big body receiver at this moment, uh, I think he'll have a big role. As far as Before disappointment, we get
1: to your guy, can I just say a little bit more about Nunwa Because like I don't want to talk negative about him. I love his skill set, and uh, you talked about 2016. What what they were doing, what Chaneyle was doing with the in 2016. If Gase can do more of that this year, he can be a beast. The the way Nunwa played, uh, the performance, uh, production he had. On post routes and go routes that season was insane. He was catching everything, you know, uh, about one of those per game. And then last year we saw like lit- literally nothing. He didn't catch a single go or post route uh, last season. So if uh, Gase can get him away from, you know, not taking uh, too many screenplays and, you know, you have to give him those because he's so good at them. But just take those down a little bit. And it's good for his health as well and get him more downfield touches, because you know, this is a guy who, you know, we talk about his physical profile, how athletic he is, and how strong he is, but we've seen signs of him being able to use those tools, with how good he was deep in 2016, how good he was in the screen game last year. So if Gase can mesh those things pretty well, not use him just in one role, then he can be a beast. He can have a huge season. I could see him putting up a 1,000 yards, but uh, I just think that when you break the— just when you look at how the production can potentially— you know, be distributed this year, someone kind of has to have slightly disappointing numbers. So I do lean towards Anunua just because of the injury issues. Uh, and I, and the fact that I kind of like the connection with Darnold a little bit more to other guys, but Anunua is super talented. He can have a big, uh, big season this year. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah.
0: I, I, those are fair points. And as I said, like you had to choose somebody, so you chose him. I understand that, but uh, yeah, I disagree with it. Um, uh, but I, my answer is not as far as one of the guys who's going to have to share targets uh, from Darnold. It's the guys who are going to have to be protecting him. Offensive line as a whole, I mean, the obvious answer here is corners, that, you know, that's going to be the thing that sinks the Jets. And I think it will um, – or well, not too much. I, th- I think the corners will struggle is what I'm trying to say. I don't think, they're, I don't think we have hidden all-pro corners on this roster. I don't think they'll be as bad as people expect, I think – I think that the the talented safety and I think the pass rush is going to be there this year with Greg Williams. I don't think it's going to be as uh, maximized. I also think the Jets defense is going to be able to force quite a few turnovers. So I think there'll be a team that that gives up a lot of passing or it gives it up a lot of yards, but is generally pretty good in the red zone, getting after the quarterback and creating turnovers, which is the three biggest things you want at a defense. So I'm not too worried about the defense side of the ball. I'll go to the offensive line. Look, you talked about it earlier; they haven't played together. All five of them haven't played together uh, together um, yet. There we go. I got it. Um, uh, and the depth there is, is fairly shallow. I mean, Joe Douglas has done a good job of, of patching it up, bringing in Jonathan or bringing in, uh, Ryan Khalil, moving Jonathan Harrison back to, to center number two, the traded for Alex Lewis, um, Mike Cagnon brought in Tom Compton, whatever. And they he also drafted, uh, chuma Adoga. But yeah, I worry about, I don't think Brandon Shell um, is that good of a player. I know his first year, there was some hope there as a pass protector and whatnot. I think he's gone downhill. Uh, I, I don't have much faith in Brandon Shell as, as a right tackle and I don't think I think he's the right tackle of the future. I think that's a a a doga. You look at right guard. Winters is a guy that has struggled to stay healthy. And when he has been on the field, I think he's underrated by Jets fans. But he's not like a great right guard. He's probably an average right guard. I worry about him. Ryan Khalil, I mean, we haven't seen him at all. We don't know what type of, uh, of shape he's in. He's an older player that was declining last year. Um, you know, played in the green, went scrimmage and was, you know, snapped a few balls over Donald Ted and, and wasn't ready for preseason. So we don't know what he's like now. Granted, he's a, I have more faith in him because he's a veteran because he's been in the league for, for 12 years and whatnot uh, to turn it around, especially as the season gets going. Uh, and I have a lot of faith in Coletio assembly, the guy next to him. I think that was a great trade for for the jets. And I think he'll be big, but then you go back to mediocrity, left tackle, Kelvin Beach. I like him. I've interviewed him. He's a great guy. I think he's a solid left tackle, but at best he's like, if you're going to rank all left tackles one to 32, he's probably in that like 17, 18 range. And I think this year you're going to see him play at that 22nd, 23rd range. So overall, it's not a great offensive line. I'll counter this with Sam Darnold is good under pressure. He's, he's one of the best guys in the league uh, at this point, I guess, uh, at, at uh, shaking, uh, shaking defenders and moving throughout the pocket, having great pocket awareness uh, and just kind of operating through chaos. Uh, however, the problem with a bad offensive line, even if you have a guy that can avoid you know, sacks like Ben Roethlisberger, ben Roethlisberger or whatnot and make some crazy plays, uh, is that they're going to suffer some injuries. And I'm worried about that with Darnold. We saw the foot last year, um, but I'm worried about the offensive line protecting Darnold. Darnold even took a few shots in the preseason. Uh, I- I'm worried about it once we get to the regular season, once they pace a, a starting pass rush for four quarters. Um, even if Darnold's able to evade some of these rushers, uh, and, and, you know, play through the traffic and whatnot and make some great plays, he still, a lot of the times, is taking hits even as he's getting rid of the ball because of that that natural playmaking ability, and that can sometimes lead to some injuries after the fact. And it's a dark topic. Jets fans don't want to acknowledge it at all. I don't I don't want it to happen. I think Darnold is tough as nails, and, and I, I hope that he plays all 16 games. But I'm worried a little bit about the offensive line, uh, the chemistry that they have, the the fact that, at best, this is an average unit, and that, that Darnold, just due to his nature of play— He's going to have to move around this this, this uh the, the pocket. He's not necessarily going to throw away as much. He's going to be a guy that's going to move around, try to make a play, and, I, and I, my fear is that'll take some shots. I mean, you look at the Houston game last year when he took that big shot from Clowney a few times. Um, it, just concerning hits like that, where where I'm worried that, that he might be, take more of this year as he gets more comfortable. But we'll see. And on that uh, peachy note, let's hop into the Jets Bills preview. Uh, Michael. Uh, and just, just, just to say, I don't think that will sink the jets. I don't think Sam Donald's going to be out for the whole season or anything like that. I just, I'm worried about the beating that he might take this year, especially when you see what, what just happened with Andrew Locke and the Colts. Uh, we, all we know is that Joe Douglas's number one goal next year will be to draft offensive linemen, build offensive linemen and bring offensive linemen in, excuse me and, and protect Sam Donald. Uh, let's go to jets versus bills. Preview. Michael. We'll start with this. We've already kind of talked about some some stuff that the Jets have to fear uh, in this game, but a matchup to the Jets' advantage, something that the Jets have going for them against the Bills.
1: I think that the depth in this receiver group, well, not the depth, but what you have with the top three guys, uh, with uh, with Robbie Anderson, with Anunua, with Crowder, uh, against this really good Bills secondary, I think it really helps. It's not necessarily an advantage because the Bills are so good in that back end defensively, but I think they have... Uh, because when the Jets played the Bills last year, they weren't healthy in either of those games. The first game, that uh, complete joke, that disaster of the whatever that first game was uh, when we thought Bowles was going to get fired. That game, I believe Robbie Anderson didn't play in that one. In uh, the second game, I don't think Anunwa played. Or Anunwa did play, but uh, he was in that stretch where he wasn't healthy. I think they had some other injuries. But uh, to have these three guys healthy against that good Bills secondary uh, is definitely going to help them combat against that because the Bills do have uh, some good corners there. So... Uh, Tredavious White against Robbie Anderson is going to be interesting. Anderson has scored a touchdown on White in both of the last two games they faced, uh, the last two times they met up. So that's going to be interesting. He hasn't dominated White, but he has put up a touchdown in both of those games. So it'll be interesting to see if that continues. But Anunua is really interesting. When he played the Bills, and obviously the team uh, was way different back then, but in 2016, Anunua had two really good games against the Bills, but last year in the two games he played against the Bills, uh, I believe he put up uh, three first downs in the two game full games he played against the Bills. Uh, about, uh, yeah, 40 yards, I, uh, somewhere around 40 yards he had, the 40 yards, three first downs in the two games last year against the Bills. And obviously those two games both came uh, towards the end of the season when it seemed like, you know, he wasn't as healthy. He had that bad run of production. But uh, I think having these three guys, a 3 d wide receiver group, Against a team that has a really good number one corner and just a really good all around secondary uh, is a really good way to combat that. Yeah, I agree with that. I think for me, when you look at this advantage, and yeah,
0: I, I think those are great points and some some great stats about Robbie Anderson, Tre'Davious White, because people don't talk about this Bills defense enough, or at least Jets fans don't don't respect them as enough. Is this is a very good unit? I think what the Jets have uh, as an advantage, I think that's Greg Williams versus Josh Allen. I think anytime you have a veteran quarter, or a veteran defensive coordinator going up against a young quarterback, even though Allen has, has seen defenses for, for a full year last year, I'm just excited about the stuff that he's going to drop. Josh Allen doesn't have any—or t- the Bills don't have any tape, really. outside out of the preseason of Greg Williams with this Jets team. Uh, and I'm just kind of excited about the different looks that he's going to throw at Josh Allen. I think that is one of Greg Williams' specialties is confusing young quarterbacks. We saw it with Sam Jordan last year. I'm excited. Even though Allen's a little bit older and he obviously can make plays with his legs and, and with his big arm, I'm just excited to see the different looks that the Jets send uh, at Allen. I think this is a game where, similar to 2016 against the Bengals, even though they ended up losing that game, I think they had like eight sacks in that game. I think this is a game where the Jets are going to absolutely dominate the Bills' offensive line. Mitch Morse isn't playing the you know their big uh, center uh, signing uh, because he they're, they're worried about concussions. He just got out of the concussion protocol, but he's not going to play week one, so they have a gaping hole up the middle, even though they, they did make some moves to bolster the depth there and whatnot. Um, some young guys, Spencer Long is there. Um so I'm excited to to watch uh, Greg Williams to so the kitchen sink at Josh Allen overcompensate for the uh for the cornerback lack of cornerback depth here uh and really just get after him because I think I think Josh Allen's going to take a beating in this game and as we talked about earlier in the podcast it is of the utmost importance that they can contain him though because when you send those blitzes you know not too dissimilar to to the Jets versus Tim Tebow in 2011 when you send those blitzes in and in a running quarterback and just get outside the pocket you you leave yourself vulnerable to you know 35 45 yard rushes um so that is a concern um, but but I think uh, they're going to throw the kitchen sink at him, and I'm just excited about that. Let's do a player to watch for the Bills, and then we'll, we'll do one with the Jets. But a guy to watch
1: that that, that Jets fan should be fairly weary of um, uh, that plays for Buffalo. I think there are a few interesting ones, and you know I've said said a few times already that there are so many parallels uh, between the Bills and the Jets. But, but when you look at their rosters side by side, and even like the times that they've added these players, you know all coming in this off season, you have so many players that are just so similar. It's just crazy how similar their position is. You have the slot receivers. You have Jameson Crowder against Cole Beasley. You have two new left guards with Colletti Semele and the Bills added Quinton Spain. Then at center, you have Mitch Morris and Ryan Khalil. So, and then, obviously, I mentioned before, you have Ed Oliver and Quinton Williams. You I'm going to say anything, quarter- but
0: so far, everybody you've listed uh, has been better for the Jets. But All I right,
1: I, 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 would, I agree objectively, but... Listen, throughout this podcast, you're being really anti-Bills. I think you know you're talking about my jinxing powers. I think you got to kind of give them a little more. I've credit. said that they're, they're, they're,
0: this is a going. This isn't. This isn't an easy game for the Jets. You know, I understand that the, the Bills have a good defense. Um, That's not
1: enough, though. You have to say that they're like AFC favorites. I yeah, think but they're you're, AFC you're just
0: favorites. To Spain and Colletti Osemily. I don't. All right, I mean, I'm just.
1: I'm just saying. Position wise, there are a lot of similarities in the way they built them. But to, but to answer this question, I'm going to get back on the note. Back on the script here. So to answer that question, I, I'm going to go with yeah, Cole we can Beasley. write these podcasts out. Yes, just I'm going back you. on the script. The it's all scripted. All of this, Every single word I wrote, even all this stuttering and everything, I wrote all of that.
0: That's that's clear. I, you know, I listened back to the podcast, and I didn't realize how often I say, you know. So now I'm, I'm actively trying to uh, to not write it down, I guess, as much as, as I read this teleprompter. But uh, I, I didn't realize that we all have some verbal tics, and I guess
1: mine is to say, you know. We but, should hire new writers, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm gonna get back to the question here. So Cole Beasley's my guy. I'm gonna go with him because uh, I think he was an option for the Jets too. That uh, you know we looked at you know all the op- we knew the Jets needed a receiver. Beasley's another guy out there. Uh, especially in the slot, and I think he and Crowder just, you know, two such... Wait, dip- did you just say Cole Beasley? That's a... Damn it, Mike... My- oh, that was my good. I gotta find a new one. Hold on. Sorry, I keep going. These writers, the guys stop giving us the same <laughs> line. But I'm gonna go with him. Like, these are two slot Get receivers writers. that... Yes. But they have very different games. You have Jameson Crowder, who's, you know, a big play threat, can make plays down the field, really good yak guy, then you have... But also struggles with drops a little bit. Then you have Cole Beasley, a sure-handed guy, doesn't drop a lot of passes, is, is really good in that underneath game, but isn't too dynamic of a yak guy he's a few years older he's more durable but he doesn't make those big plays so they're kind of like polar opposites in that slot game you have the more explosive younger more athletic crowder but the more reliable durable kind of sure-handed cole beasley so uh, it'll be an, I think he's a definitely a really good addition for Allen. i think a guy who a young quarterback who's kind of struggled with accuracy to have a, a veteran underneath guy to who has really good hands to dump the ball off to just hit those five to ten yard slants is really going to help him but uh, he's going to be a good challenge for Brian Poole, I think, to start this game. Uh, no one really talks about Poole a lot when we're talking about this team, but he's a huge X factor. Any soft corner is because those guys, week in, week out, are capable of either dominating a game or being the reason you lose a game. We've seen that with Buster Screen. So uh, I think Brian Poole against Cole Beasley, that's going to be interesting to watch. So I'm going to be looking at him. Yeah, the, the other guy I wanted to say, but I'll,
0: I'll just do a quick thing on him and then go to, to it. The other side of the ball to to give some this podcast some variety. I was going to say John Brown, because as I mentioned earlier, I just I'm worried about his ability as a deep threat receiver to create space against a guy like Tremaine Johnson or whoever he's going up against. But specifically a guy like Johnson who struggled uh, with with his hamstring or whatnot, just, you know, utilizing a player like Brown going against him. If there's for some reason May is late getting over, we know Allen has the cannon to get it to him. So I'm I'm worried about Brown getting over the top of this defense. Uh, But for me, I'm going to go to this secondary for the bills and specifically i'll go with the safeties look we know sam Darnold's a guy that likes to take chances he's still a young quarterback uh, and taking chances is a good thing you don't want a guy who's too conservative but Darnold does have the tendency to try to fit it into these tight windows and sometimes it leads to some incredible highlights but other times it leads to you know what the hell is this guy thinking and that is going to be a thing that will happen throughout Darnold's career hopefully it's a thing that happens you know less frequently and whatnot but anytime you have a guy that that is this much of a playmaker that is going to have to make something out of nothing throughout his entire career he's going to have interceptions like these. Yeah. And specifically with Hyde and Poyer, I mean, I think they're arguably the best safety to do in the league. We don't necessarily know about, you know, Adams and May, concerning May's health struggles and whatnot, but they're definitely up there as far as the best uh, safety to do in the league. And their corners are no slouches either. You talk about Tredavious White. That's one of the top corners in the league. Uh, Levi Wallace and Teron Jackson, or Teron Johnson, excuse me, aren't necessarily as good of corners, but between White, Poyer, and Hyde, those are three very good uh, defensive backs. And I worry about Sam Darnold, you know, it's his first, you know, Uh, First regular season, first full game in Adam Gase's system, people aren't giving him enough credit that he he is learning a new system. He's essentially a rookie again when it comes to some of these things, learning the language and whatnot of of an offense. I am kind of worried about him forcing a ball into, you know, maybe a tight window that where Jameson Crowder is because they're still working out some chemistry or whatnot. I don't know if it'll happen. I th- it sounds like him and, and Darnold's, you know, understands the offense, you know, uh, very well and has good chemistry with his receivers and whatnot. But anytime you have a guy that forces the ball like this and tries to make plays, especially when you're going up, going up against a top secondary like this, it could lead to some turnovers. So I would say for for the Jets fans, I would just watch the Buffalo secondary because this is going to be something that Darnold's going to have to watch himself. And has to be mindful of guys like Poyer and guys like Hyde, who are good at forcing turnovers, good at picking the ball off. He threw some last year when he played them. Um, so that would kind of be my thing to watch as, as a Jets fan. Um, but overall, my prediction, bold prediction for the game, uh, I guess I'll go bold prediction for the game uh, is, is that Sam Darnold is going to toss three touchdown passes. Uh, I'll set the, the mark there. He might throw an interception. I could see three touchdowns and an interception. And I said the Jets win this game. I, I think it'll be close. Um, I'm trying to think of the, the score for this. You know, now we can go to regular season scores, Michael, where they're not that weird. Um, I'm going to say that, well, if, okay, if, if Donald throws three touchdowns, there's 21 points right there. I'm going to say Corey Vedvik hits at least one field goal. That's 24. And I, I want Le'Veon Bell to score a touchdown. So I'm going to say the Jets put up 31, Bills 23. Michael, what about you?
1: Yeah, I think it's definitely going to be a close game. I don't see either team uh, blowing this one out. I'd be surprised if it doesn't. Uh, come down to one last drive. So uh, I think definitely 20s is a good place to put this. I don't think it's going to be a grinding game because I think we're going to see two really improved young quarterbacks uh, in this game, two improved receiving cores uh, with some more additions. So I think it's going to be that mid-20s game. It definitely doesn't have shootout potential. I'm more confident in that. Uh, I don't see this one going to the 30s, but I think kind of the score we saw last year, the Jets, don't, don't uh, I think it was 27-21 that game.
0: Huh? Yeah. What don't mess with my don't mess with my fantasy for for having for having Sam Donald throw three touchdown passes and the Jets have a thirty point. I I believe you know generally the early season games are positive for the offense. I agree that the, it's not like these two teams are offensive juggernauts, although the Jets now finally do have some some pieces there. But generally these early season games you see higher scoring contests, and I do believe in Gase and, and the weapons that the Jets have. Everybody's healthy. I'm, I'm gonna say the Jets put up thirty one honestly. I, I see thirty one twenty three. But uh, as right, you said, so
1: I think I'm just gonna go. For me, I'm gonna go with. 20, I'll, I'll say oh, I don't. I don't want to pick the Jets to win. That is not. I just don't do it. It's hard for me to do. Don't You're, don't then, I, you talk? You criticize. Listen, listen. You criticized my Jinx game before, but most of the time I'm really on to that, and I really make sure not to play that game. So I'm I'm not going to make a score prediction that locking that in right now. That's why, not. Why don't you just make a game. score prediction that the Jets lose, and then we're fine. All right. What's the over under for this game? I'm just going to make a call on that. There we go. That's uh, nice. Unbiased. Uh, just. You Know, I'm not taking any size, just kind of going with the facts.
0: Uh, yeah, it says right here 40.5, 40 and a half.
1: Yeah, so I'll, I'll just go off of that, unbiased, uh, just looking at the numbers. So I, I'm gonna go over that. I think that's a little bit low, I think it'll be something around 24, 21, either way. So, and I think we're gonna see a lot of early scoring, and then it's gonna kind of slow down second quarter, third quarter, and then uh, we'll see a couple of uh, big drives late, kind of going back and forth. But... Uh, I, th- I think this is going to be a good game. I think there's on both sides, you're going to see flashes from I, both these teams, I think have the potential to be uh, an above average unit on both sides of the ball. So uh, I think it's going to be really good, a good, a good clean game. I think that we're definitely going to see that off the jump, even though it doesn't seem like it might be with, you know, a couple young quarterbacks, you got a new head coach on one side, an offensive line that hasn't played together, a lot of new offensive linemen on Buffalo side. I think we're going to see a clean game. So I think both, both these teams are going to be good this year. So uh, to kick off the season, I think it'll be over that 40.5, somewhere around 24, 21, either way. Not predicting the Jets to win any games this season. New rule for this podcast. All right, well, I, I will continue
0: to predict the Jets for literally every single game uh, upcoming. That's 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 generally my thing. Um, all right, before we close it out, Michael, I want one bold prediction for the entire year. It doesn't have to be a record prediction. It'd be player-specific, whatnot, just because it's week one. Bold prediction for the next 16 weeks, next 17 weeks of, of, of football.
1: All right, right off the top of my head, what came to my first, uh, Jamal Adams going off with takeaways this year. I th- I'm think i thinking of my Madden.
0: Wow, are you kidding me?
1: I'm, are you are, kidding me? That was mine. I these writers, this, man, they got to give us something different. <laughs> <laughs> this is the year of the Jamal Adams takeover. I mean, the takeaway, I mean. This, I, I was I, just I, thinking of my Madden games. He forces at least one fumble every game, bails me out in the red zone. You, I'm I'm, I think chicken. he'll force he'll force four fumbles this year, have four interceptions, and he'll recover three fumbles. So a total of 11 takeaways. So yeah. separate with the f- force fumbles and the recoveries. Four forced, three recovered, and four picks. 11 takeaways.
0: I was going to say over 10 turnovers um, for Jamal Adams this year. Yeah, I think you're definitely going to see him make his presence felt a lot more uh, intercepting passes and whatnot. All right, well, now that I have to think a completely new one, um, a bold prediction for the year that's not Jamal Adams. Uh, I'm fighting, going with Sam Darnold because I want to do something different. You know what? I got it. Le'Veon Bell. I'm going to go with Le'Veon Bell here. I'm going to do his stat line. Ready for this, Michael? And you you tell me what you Let's think. Let's do it. Let's I, do I, I want to I wanna make sure that I'm this accurate. This is a on.
1: Cool Your Jets segment, which we forgot to do. We'll do that right here. Cool your, I'm going to say Cool Your Michael, Jets, I think yes. it's ridiculous.
0: Michael can say Cool Your Jets or Take Flight, depending on this stat line that yeah. I'm going to give him. Okay, so the there past two years for the Steelers, 2017 and 2016, he's run for over 1,200 yards. I think he does that again in this year. I think he has 12,000 yards rushing. Um... Uh, I think it'll be on less 12, attempts. Twelve
1: thousand, I would say cool, your Jets on 12,000. 1,200, 1,200, 1,200. That's,
0: that's my Syracuse <laughs> education right there. Uh, 1,200, uh, miss, misspoke, you know. Uh, 1,200 yards, I'm going on less attempts, though. Um, similar to 2016, he had 261 attempts, but so had 1,200 yards rushing. And in 2017, he had 321, but still had 1,200 yards. Over, you know, a little off by a little bit. But I'll go, I'll have over 1,200 yards rushing on about, you know, 270 attempts. Um, I'll go with, oh, this is tough. Uh, I'll go 12 total touchdowns. That was tough. I got it out. I'll say nine rushing, three receiving, uh, and I'll say as far as receiving yards goes, uh, I think 500 receiving yards uh, easily. Uh,
1: I'm going to go take fight with this. So the touchdowns will be a career high. He's put up 11 twice, 2014, 2017. He wasn't a big touchdown guy at the Steelers. He didn't put up—he never had 10 rushing touchdowns, and he never had more than three receiving touchdowns. But when you look at his distribution, he didn't get a lot of uh, touches in the red zone, really, either receiving or rushing. But I think the Jets are going to look his way a lot. So uh, I'm going to say take flight with the 12 touchdowns and and the yards. I think you were good there. So you had him around, what, 1,700, 1,800 scrimmage yards, 12 touchdowns. Uh, Take flight all the way. I agree with that. All right, sweet.
0: All right, there we go. All right, I'm glad. I'm glad I appeased uh, your ego and apparently right. the ego of, of the writers. Um, that'll do it for us. Um, on that note, I think I have the Jets winning. Michael doesn't, and we both agree that Le'Veon Bell is going to go off this season. Uh, you can follow us at CyjPod on Twitter. You can follow me at Ben W Blessington on Twitter. You can follow Michael at Michael underscore Nania. Uh, you can find this podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio. Just search Cool Your Jets. You can also find this podcast. Look how fast I'm flying through this. This is a pro right here. Uh, you can also find this podcast for the best. Oh, now I jinxed myself. God damn it. It is written on the teleprompter, though. <laughs> <laughs> go fuck yourself, San Diego. Oh, no. Wrong teleprompter. Okay. <laughs> go. Uh, and you can find this podcast, uh, the best place for Jets content, turn to the jets.com. Uh, Michael, another great episode in the books. Glad, glad doing the show with you. I'm having fun. Uh, and I'm excited for the season. Anything else you'd like to add as, as we're about to kick off 2019?
1: Yeah, and for the record, I didn't say the Jets wouldn't win, which is what you just said. I just don't like to predict scores. I thought we agreed Jets on that. Scores. I just don't like to predict jet scores. You criticized my superstition game with the fumble stuff, so I'm just letting you know that yeah, it is something fair. I consider, and predicting jet scores is just not something I do. Okay.
0: All right. That's fine. Now, I mean, to be fair, the podcast is called Cool Your Jets. It's supposed to be based off rational facts and opinions and whatnot as here true. i am saying that the jets are going to win 31 23 with no scientific backing on that whatsoever outside of early football mean big offense
1: got to rely on the science <laughs> when you make these predictions all science
0: all science here the cool your jets podcast all right thank you for listening uh everybody have a great week let's hope the jets catch the w on on sunday and let's hope for no big injuries excited to watch Le'Veon bell's first touches as a member of the new york jets everybody have a good first week touch oh god why'd you have to ruin the air? Uh, god now you made it awkward okay. sorry <laughs> <It's> uh, <fun. laughs> uh let's hope the jets win on sunday <laughs> uh. back to throw is gone looks left fires one down the left sideline towards the end
1: zone robbie anderson
0: he's got it that's a jet touchdown Dumps it to bell and right beyond bell takes it
1: and for the touchdown crowder close to 30 35 40 crowder turns on the jets He's going to go all the way. James is broader. it's intercepted by Mosley. He's going to score, Jim. And he's in. Touchdown, C.J. Mosley!